Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitter to the National League. We got fresh frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. <laughs> yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. <laughs> the Washington Nationals are the world champions. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Uh, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny, and the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And now. Hello, heaters. Welcome to another fabulous episode of Half Street High Heat presented to you as always by Manscaped. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate you guys. I'm Amanda and I'm joined as always by my sanguine co-hosts, Nick and Ryan. Please make sure to find us on Twitter. Follow the show there at Half Street High Heat for all the latest. And don't forget to check out the website, halfstreethighheat.com, which is updated frequently with outtakes from the pod, great articles, and much more. How are you guys doing? Been a wild couple of days since we last spoke. I actually know what sanguine means, so I'm going to challenge you right here, right now on this pod to do better. Do better. All right. Well, sanguine is like the opposite of what you guys are. So even if you know what it means, it's still funny. (laughs) <laughs> although uh, i mean we'll get to it no, no spoilers definitely reason to be uh sanguine yes there is it's uh it's been a heck of a run right now i mean you know you officially officially declared the season over a couple of weeks ago are you still in the season is over mindset or has this what are we ten, uh, 11 out of the last 12 Oh, I mean, I guess we're just jumping right into it. No, no, no. I'm going to save it. I'm going to save it. 
Oh, we'll save it for the next bet. All right, all right. We'll save it for the next bet. Tease a little bit. <laughs> Let's do our quick pitch first. Okay. Okay. Quick, I guess quick... we're just not going to ask how Ryan is. I mean, Jesus. What does the show Ryan. come to? How you doing, Ryan? Thank you, Nick. Um, I very much appreciate <laughs> that, Nick. <laughs> um, that didn't sound very sanguine at all i'm just throwing that out there. i'm doing fantastic i'm anti-sanguine i'm penguin <laughs> oh, fantastic. No. no so oh wait damn I, having to think too much ruin the joke what's it it's like sans serif and then it just serif so it's sanguine and then it's just gwen sangria mm, sangria all right wow this this episode has gone off the rails quickly and early on this wow all right so ryan what's new how have your last couple of days been last couple of days been absolutely splendid there's nothing new now now she's just pandering because you know i know it's just it's pity at this point let's move on bring up the quick pitch you're right nobody cares okay quick pitch (laughs) will major league baseball come out with a new ball and or some sort of new approved substance for grip before the end of this season. Um, they will always come out with a new ball because they doctor the ball every single day. I don't think they'll have an approved substance. I think that'll be next year and it'll be discussed in the new CBA. Yeah, I agree. Um, didn't prior to the season, they admitted to changing a new or like, um, providing a new ball coming into 2021 right or did i make that up no i think they did did they admit yeah, I, it or I, is it just i thought i thought there was some sort of announcement or common knowledge that there was a new ball which obviously there is heading into 2021 i didn't think it was just conjecture or pitchers you know opinions or you know thoughts on the ball whatever maybe um you know uh, plenty of pitchers have talked about how every single baseball you get is different. So Ryan's absolutely right. They're going to come out with a new, like a quote unquote new ball at some point. It's probably not going to be this year. This year, it's just going to let it, they're going to let it ride. Um, as far as the proof substance goes, we actually talked about that in our interview. So a little, you know, set up there, but the pitchers need something. And I talked about it when we had our whole uh, topic about the sticky stuff, but sunscreen and rosin are two legal substances that you just combine and it just happens to improve grip. I mean, people use rosin and sweat. Max Scherzer uses um, spit and rosin to get a grip on it. I mean, point being legal substances, you're just combining them to make something better. So I don't see how that can be illegal, but you know, I digress. I don't think that anything's going to come of it before the end of the season, just because the CBA is looming and everything's going to get pushed to then. And uh, they're just going to try to finish out the season. So I actually, I, I don't know. I think, I hope that I'm right to say that I disagree with this because it's already been a total S show over the last couple of days with this, with pitchers having no, no good grip on the ball at this point because they're being investigated. So, frequently for substances so nobody's going to dare use anything right now and you know after in the post game yesterday max came out and said basically like i was rubbing my hair trying to get some sweat on my hands because i almost hit somebody in the face with a 95 mile an hour fastball like i can't grip the ball properly and at some point 
you know, like it, I think in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see some hit by pitches that are really ugly because pitchers aren't able to grip the ball the way they're used to. And because you did this mid season, like a bunch of idiots, they haven't even had an opportunity to try to master their pitches using only rosin. So I, I almost feel like they're going to have to do something in season. Like you decided to make this change in season. So you're going to have to come up with some kind of a solution in season as well. Whether it's a, 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 I think the idea of a grippier baseball, which is being talked about by the league is a great idea, but I don't think that's going to come about in, in season, but I almost feel like they're going to have to come out with something that the pitchers can use for grip that they say, Hey, this is approved either with the rosin or instead of the rosin. I think, uh, and again, I don't want to jump the gun because that's a lot of what our Nats bet is based on, you know, what we saw Max and Davey and Joe Girardi get into during the Philly series. But I think the thing that will change during the season is the way the checks are conducted and kind of the rules surrounding the checks themselves. I don't know exactly what it'll be because right now it's pretty ridiculous, but we'll get into that. All right. Um, okay, moving on. Let's get to Ryan's midweek in review. It's time for everyone's part of the show, the midweek review. And as we were just talking about, they're doing substance checks now. And Major League Baseball players continue to call out Manfred publicly. Zach Britton was the latest member of that. As he said, this is, quote, embarrassing. And he's the latest player to publicly call out the commissioner. You do not see that very often. We saw several players have on-field episodes when asked to be checked, making a point to the league that this is absurd. In an interview, Manfred said, overall, things are going well with the checks, but the Max Scherzer situation was, quote, less than ideal. Cam Soda, yes, Cam Soda, saw what happened with the pitchers, and they're offering $100,000 to Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom to do a show for them. Wander Franco had an electric debut with a game-tying three-run home run for his first hit. He also had a double later in the game. The Rays' woes continue, though, as they're 0-7 since the league cracked down on substance abuse, also when Tyler Glass now got hurt. Matt Manning, another top prospect, earned his first Major League victory for the Tigers. To the NL East, in fifth are the 31 and 41 Marlins. They dropped their two-game set versus the Blue Jays. They also have a four-game set with the Nationals. You hear about more on them in a little bit. And fourth are the 34 and 37 Phillies. They dropped a wild two-game set versus Nats, which we'll talk about here in a second. And up next is a four-game set with the first-place Mets. And third are the 35 and 37 Braves. They're playing better, and they took the first two, uh, sorry, they took two of the first three games against the Braves and the Mets, and they're currently trailing right now. Acuna was scratched due to back tightness from carrying this roster. Up next, the Reds. In second place are the 35 and 36 Nats. More on them in a moment. In first are the 37 and 31 Mets. Pete Alonso will participate in the home run derby. The Mets also announced that they fired four clubhouse assistants and their longtime clubhouse chef. They confirmed, but they will not comment on what happened. They just said this is not related to the Wilmer Hale culture interview. Up next for the Mets is the Phillies. This has been your week in review. Wow, Nats are in second place. Feels weird. It does. And <laughs> it, it's like it's surprising that it feels weird based on how much of an S show the NL East has been. It's not like anyone's running away with it, and like obviously it feels good to be 
in second place as opposed to fifth place, but but they've been in fifth place, place for so long. Second does right. feel weird. And second, but second place doesn't feel like that much of an achievement based on the fact that we're still not even five hundred yet. And the fact that everybody's so clustered in close together. I mean, it's not like you're in second place and the next, the other, you know, the teams below you are are in the distant rear view. You know. Yeah, like you right. can you cannot play and then drop to fourth place because the NL East is so clustered right now. But it kind of makes it more fun because everyone's just like in a divisional stretch right now. So each game's a little bit more fun because one team wins, one team loses. The standings get completely shaken up. And that's pretty fun. It is pretty fun. And this was a wild ass series. They just finished two game series with the Phillies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> two completely different games too. Yes. Very, very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I don't even know. Like today's game was just crazy i mean lead changes grand slams it was just it was a crazy game i think probably the maybe one of the most fun games of the season so far oh 100 this entire this entire series was fantastic both games like you said the first game was a 3-2 nail biter they had the drama with max he did not like the first time he was checked he said those were fine but then joe girardi wanted him to be checked again which was not a good faith decision but umpires aren't gonna be able to do that so max you know threw everything on the ground joe girardi came out of dugout davy came out of the dugout then later the next inning max stared him down and then joe girardi was like oh you know his whole yelling <laughs> hold me back bro hold me back yeah like okay what, what what are you gonna do and then the the um philly's commentators are like max needs to be careful from what <laughs> What, what are you going to do? Is that old Nothing. man going to beat Max up? No, yeah, and, and then Girardi got ejected. That was the best part. Did you watch the John Boy uh, breakdown of that whole I thing? I did. I did watch that. Yeah, it was pretty great. And it did make me realize, which I did not realize in real time, that he was yelling at Kevin Long, not directly at Max, which does make it slightly better, although Girardi still clowned himself completely. But, uh, yeah, and then was it, who was it, one of the other Nat staff that were in there just, like, making fun of him at the end? Like, Jim that Hickey. whole thing. Yeah, Hickey. Anyway, it was absolutely hysterical. I, that was one of the more entertaining moments I've seen. And Max was – the fact that the umpires are out there literally running their hands over Max Scherzer's bald spot, I was like, what are, what are we doing as a sport right now? Like, what, what, what is it's, it's happening? The, it's the rule, though. Like, it's – dumb but that's the memo like umpires probably don't want to be doing it either but when a coach is like hey can you check blank they have to check it like so they have to run it there it doesn't matter where it is they have to check it um joe girardi talked about it kept touching his hair max doesn't have any hair like max is max is balding like relax guy Um, well, not only that, but Max said after the game, he's like, I was trying to get sweat on my hands because I didn't want to hit somebody in the damn face with a fastball. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are getting upset. I don't really understand why people are getting as mad as they were. I feel like people were just getting upset because Max was, but not really understanding that, like, this is the memo. This is the rule. Like, this is going to keep happening. The routine checks are part of the game. That's fine. Everything that happened was within the rules. Now, I will say, though, Max's reaction was absolutely hilarious and all the drama from it, good for baseball, because it went viral. Everyone tweeted it. Sports Center tweeted it. Bleacher Report tweeted it. All those accounts tweeted out. That's good for baseball. It doesn't matter what it is. Baseball needs to get in those national accounts more. So it was good for baseball. Rob Manfred, 
look at that. You had an unintentional consequence. And yeah, no, no chance he did that on purpose. Although, isn't Bauer pitching tonight? I, I can't wait to see if yeah, anything dramatic happens with the Jets. so Bauer. cringe. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. It'll still, though, be entertaining and probably all over the national news. But, yeah, the whole thing to me, this is part of going back to the quick pitch for a second about why I think they're going to have to come out with some sort of a, a, an approved substance that these guys can use because – Last night was it was funny, but it was a total clown show. Like you're talking about all this crap they do on pace of play and making sure the game moves along quickly. And is it that you've got to stop? You can't take you know three checks from the umpire and you know, they're all taking minutes. And and I think the whole idea of doing it mid inning is ridiculous. Like if Girardi said, "Hey, I want Max checked because he was rubbing his hair," you can do that as he comes off the mound at the end of the inning there's stopping a pitcher in the middle of their rhythm in See, the middle of an inning is outrageous it's smart and every single coach is going to do it because it's smart davy needs to do it as well because it messes with the guy's rhythm it's absolutely genius because it's completely within the rules i think it's great like every team needs to do that during the middle of an inning maybe even during the middle of a bat it's smart it's within the rules you can do it that's another moral gray area i say run with it well, I, it is it is within the rules, and it needs to not be, is my point. They need to make the rule, if you want a pitcher checked, it's as they come off the mound before they get back in the dugout, not in the middle of an inning. Yeah. Um, it's like we just knew that this was going to happen. Everyone kind of outlined it as a possibility when we saw the memo in this gray area. Like, trusting a manager and team to do a good faith, you know, uh, standard i guess it is pretty comical when you just brushed aside a huge widespread cheating mm-hmm. you know scandal and you know system in place it's not just the astros there's plenty of teams doing it it's just the astros are the main ones who, who got you know singled out uh, but they just brush that under the rug but no 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 let's do a good faith uh, you know, system with this. So it, it's a tactical advantage right now. It's it's a weapon for coaches to use. And Joe Girardi used it. And, you know, that's that's fine with with me. Like he's allowed to do that. It's a you know strategic move to do that and disrupt Max's rhythm. Obviously, as Nats, Nats fans, we're going to be you know peeved off at it. But it was a tr- strategic move. I wouldn't have picked Max to do it because <laughs> Max is a psychopath, but yes. it, it led to, you know, great entertainment. And like you guys said, it was an unintended consequence that, that, you know, provided some life to a normally boring Nats team. Yeah. Well, that's for sure. I, uh, I, I kept thinking, giving the opposing managers this sort of power over the pitchers on an opposing team is like the baseball equivalent of, putting out the bowl of candy on Halloween with the sign that says just take right. Time. Like, right. <laughs> you're not going to get these guys to just, you know, to not abuse the privilege. And Girardi did, you, did that for sure. Did you guys see Sergio Romo literally drop his Literally drop trowel on the field. It was, yeah. it was great. It was so great. It was a couple hours later. I was like, do you think he was watching the Phillies-Nats game earlier and saw it and was like, that's a damn fine idea? I thought Max was going to do it, and I was about to turn that into a T-shirt or something because that oh, would have yeah. been hilarious. All you had to say is, like, the T-shirt just says, that's my ace. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it wouldn't take much. You don't even need to be clever. <laughs> yeah, it was hysterically funny, but it's ridiculous, and it, 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 you shouldn't 
the opposing managers should not have the power to disrupt a pitcher's rhythm like that. Like I said, there's, if, if your point is not to disrupt them, but because you genuinely think they might be having a substance they're using, then they can check that at the end of an inning. So they, they've got to get control of this. Like it was funny for a couple of days. It's going to probably be less funny in a week. Yeah. It'll get old quick. Yeah. It'll get old quick. Like they need to, they need to come up with something to get this situation under control. And I think like coming out and saying, Hey, here's a, here's an approved substance. This works well enough for grip. It doesn't really help you with spin rate. And until we can hash all this out in the CBA, this is what you can use this year. But I'd like to see that sooner than later. Yep. All right. So we just touched on the Girardi versus Davey and K-Long thing. So if you guys didn't watch that yet, listeners, make sure you check it out. Um, Find the original video, which is hilarious, um, from the time Max, it's the end of the fifth inning when Max stalks off the mound and literally just death stares with his maniac face at Girardi the entire walk back to the dugout. It's absolutely fabulous. And then uh, Kevin Long, I think, drops some F-bombs in Girardi's direction. And uh, then it all pops off from there. It ends up with Girardi ejected. So check that out if you haven't already. Um, Let's talk about later in that game, Brad Hand had a pretty eventful inning. Um, I, for one, like almost had to turn the game off so I didn't have a heart attack. Yeah. uh, It was never in doubt. (laughs) (laughs) we've we've had our fair share of this i mean this just reminds me of the rafael soriano closing days who we're still paying by the way but are are we still that's horrifying yeah Yeah. i used to have Um, i used to seriously get like anxiety attacks whenever he came up whenever i saw him coming out of the bullpen i was like oh god i can't take yeah it's like you know his whip is approaching two but his era is respectable and that's kind of what we're seeing with brad hand right now there was obvious signs of regression uh, in, in various metrics with Brad Hand, but he, we needed a lefty. He was the best lefty available. We wouldn't got him on a one-year deal. Like nothing that happens is really going to make me, you know, regret signing Brad Hand. But it's definitely not the most convincing outings he's having lately. He's getting the job done, which is you know what matters more than anything. But it, you just wonder how many times is he going to have these kinds of outings before it really just turns into you know, a rough stretch where it's kind of hard to trust him in the ninth. He had that sort of mini rough stretch earlier in the yeah, year. Yeah, it was mini, but he he righted the ship. And that's kind of normal throughout the course of a, a long season. And you have like 70 appearances or whatever you have at season. Then you're bound to have a stretch of like three or four where, where it's just not going your way. But this just seems like every single inning, there, there's no easy innings for him. And that kind of stuff adds up, especially when, you know, Hudson's out, Harris is done for the year couple other guys are in and out. A couple other guys are not performing. So Hand, you know, obviously was slated to be our closer and going to be relied on a lot anyways, but he's having to be relied on even more so because he's the only guy right now in our bullpen. Yeah, he's the only one of the, you know, back of the bullpen guys they were yeah, counting the on guy. going into the season. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a whole lot of, you know, you, wrote here whoever whichever would you put this into the show doc about bending and not breaking like th- you can only bend so far <laughs> before you break and he he's been bending a lot lately and i just feel like he's due for a really ugly outing that's gonna that's gonna cost us an important game or two or three it sucks that we also don't have a, another off day until we get to the all-star break so it's like you have to gut through these next you know 
17 games or so, whatever it is, and just hope that, you know, every Brad Hand and everyone else included can just, you know, gut through, you know, this tough stretch against tough teams and before they get, you know, too burnt out. Has there been any update on the situation with Hudson and when they expect him back? I thought he was kind of approaching a return, but uh, I may be way off base on that. Have you heard anything on that, Ryan? Sorry, what was your question? You got cut out. Oh, sorry. Um, about Hudson. Have you heard anything about Hudson's situation or when he's expected to return? I haven't heard anything, but that one was, that's a little concerning. Having a elbow injury when you already have had a couple Tommy Johns with that age, there was concern. So I feel like they're going to take it really slow and careful with him. Yes, probably for the best, especially since for right now the team's playing well enough without him. There's no reason to try to rush him back. Uh, I just looked it up. Three days ago, CBS said that the Nats had planned to have him uh, throw soon during their road trip this week. So Okay. Well, and they said there was no long-term concerns with, uh, with his elbow. It's just elbow inflammation, which is, yeah, something you got to monitor. But well, he's, been, yeah, he's been throwing a lot. Yeah. Well, that's good. And that sounds the, a little hopeful. Yeah, so like with a normal throwing program to get back from the I.L., it's going to take probably about seven days from today anyways, and then you only have another seven to ten days before the All-Star break. So they're probably just going to maybe bring him back for one or two appearances before the break and then use the break to kind of give him another I.L. stint, so to speak. Excellent. All right, so we talked a little bit about the first game of the Philly series. Let's talk about today's game, which was absolute pandemonium. Um, multiple comebacks, three comebacks, come back from down 5-0, then down 9-5, then down 12-11. to It was um, from, an, from an offense that could be charitably described as anemic for much of the season so far. This was a pretty impressive performance. Yeah, it started pretty bad because they're getting no hit by Vince Velasquez, who's not very good at <laughs> pitching by yeah, any rough. means whatsoever. <laughs> so that was really embarrassing. But then, yeah, they got going. Um, I said this in the interview, but I'm also going to say now, it was the first game in MLB history with both teams having a three-run home run and a grand slam in one game. Oh. There was a lot of comebacks on both sides. It was a wild game. It was a horribly pitched game. Um, it's just dreadful. <laughs> like if you saw the pitches guys were hitting out there like hanging curveballs right down the middle fastballs inner half no good pitches but it was great you know josh bell had that grand slam that was great for him kyle schwarber had another ding dong the team fought which is something they haven't really done and it was really really fun to watch because they had one of those wild games in i think it was 2019 against the brewers ended up losing and that kind of sucked so, yeah, they, they finally were on the other end of one of these wild games that they actually pulled out. I yeah, think it was I, Jesse Doherty who tweeted out earlier something about this being the worst pitched game he's ever seen in person, which cracked me up. Oh, yeah, it was pretty – I mean, both teams used more than six, six or six or more guys, so that kind of tells you all you need to know. And it was a nine-inning game. that wasn't even extra <laughs> innings. Um, as far as the NAS performance goes today, I think it was just a culmination of a lot of things going well and kind of like right place right time whereas you know any other time throughout the season it's been um, a lot of things going poorly or wrong place wrong time or like you know the Braves have gotten the better of us at the beginning of the season and if they catch us now well maybe the series looks a little bit different 
So, you know, when you're playing as well as the Nats have been, you have the, the pitching the Nats have been. Obviously, it's a little bit of a different story today. But coming into this game, you're, you're riding high and you're pitching. You know, the anemic offense is still semi-present, but you have, you know, pillars within your offense like Kyle Schwarber, Trey Turner. Obviously, Juan Soto is always going to be a threat no matter what he's been doing recently. You know, when you have those guys and kind of prop your offense up, and obviously, like I said, um, you know, riding your pitching, you're feeling good. Plus, you're playing a division rival. There's always going to be, you know, the Bryce Harper versus the Nats kind of, you know, storyline for probably 11 more years as long as Bryce plays. But you just have a lot of, you know, reason to get up for this game. And, you know, when you get – this is really the first time we've seen the Nats get into this hole during this, this stretch of good baseball that they've been playing. So it was really kind of a test to see how they would respond, and they responded well. Obviously, like Ryan said, it didn't start out well. They should have, you know, jumped on it from the beginning. But to see them fight, and it was really top to bottom throughout the whole lineup. Like, I mean, Soto went 0-4 today, and we still scored 12 runs. Or, excuse me, 13 runs. So that that's kind of a testament to everyone else doing their job, picking up the slack. It doesn't have to always be Soto and Turner. I mean, Turner had a great game, but, you know, you don't have to ride those, those two guys every single game. That's a lot to ask. It's too much to ask. But you had Castro with three hits. Bell with, obviously, the clutch grain slam. That, that, that at-bat, I just want to highlight for a second because now I am officially buying a Josh Bell jersey. I, I said wow. that today. He, he's earned it. But also, that at-bat just displayed so much growth and so much progression with Josh Bell. And obviously, we've highlighted a little bit. for. But for those who still look at the 228 batting average and the barely over 700 OPS and say Josh Bell's having a poor season, you got to look at it in, you know, really three parts, April, May, and June. His June has been phenomenal, and the progression he showed today was unreal. He bases loaded, which obviously we've had trouble, you know, dealing with. To say the least, yeah. Yeah, to say the least, uh, top to bottom in our offense. Quickly gets down 0-2 on two great change-ups, low and outside. Both would have been strikes anyways. Josh just does his best to foul him off. Works the count three and two, fouling off, again, you know, just dirty change-ups. Dirty, dirty, dirty. Just fouling him off, spoiling him, doing his best. Finally works the count to get a pitch he likes, fastball, loan away, same spot where the change-up was, and he was on it, you know, from the left side, homeward to, to right center field. It was just beautiful, and that, you know, hole at bat really encompasses how far Josh Bell has come along. And, you know, if we he gets going, obviously Kyle Schwarber's going hot. Trey Turner's been, you know, lights out all season long. If we can get Juan Soto going. I mean, this offense can really, you know, I'm not going to say they're, they're a top offense in the league. That, that that's just not going to happen based on the, the current construction. But they can be, you know. It'll be a hell of a lot more dangerous <laughs> yeah. than they have been. Right. Because if you have four guys going at the same time, I mean, really, that's what a lot of the best quote unquote best offenses in the league have. They have kind of three or four guys that kind of get this, their offensives going and they have role players that kind of contribute and just get on base and, you know, set the table for the other guys. So if the offense can do that, pitching has been dominant for the most part, like we said, and you know, who, who knows what this run can turn into, but it was a great game today and it was good to see the Nats fight back through adversity because they haven't faced much of it throughout the stretch. Yeah. It's, um, Obviously, we've been trying to avoid too much of the this feels like 2019 thing, although you're seeing it a lot online. But I have to say, the, just 
the way they fought back today reminded me of that. And, you know, within the 2019 run after they came off their, you know, poor, poor early season and started to get into that where they're playing 600 plus baseball down the stretch. Like it never felt like they were out of it, even when they were down. And this season has been the opposite of that. Most of the time it's been, Oh, we're down two runs. It's over. You know, they can't Mm -hmm. possibly come back from that. And this game today was, was really impressive to me that way. The, the way they, they're feeling themselves right now in a way they haven't been. We talked on the episode a couple days ago about how they didn't look like they've been having any fun at all. It looks like they're all just like out there plowing through it and not enjoying themselves. And that feels like it's starting to change. Like they're, they're feeling themselves. They've got some confidence they're having fun. Like they were ready to fight back today, no matter how many times they were down. And that was really, really cool to watch. Yep. Agreed. Okay. So they are now nine and one in their last 10. Um, Obviously a a pretty dramatic turnaround from what they were looking like up until a couple of weeks ago. What, what do we think we need to see from them? We, we first talked about, Oh, well, yeah, they swept the pirates, but it's the pirates. We need to see them take three or four from the Mets. And then they did that. And then we're like, okay, well, are they for real? What are we looking at here? What's the, what is this team really? And now they just, you know, swept the Phillies in a two game set. Like what, how are we feeling about things? Like, what are you guys at this point? Are you starting to believe this is for real or is this still too small of a sample size for you to get too excited about it? They, they have a pulse. They're taking mm-hmm. advantage of the weak division like they're supposed to. They have a weak opponent this weekend in the, the Marlins. For me, if they can continue this against their disgusting stretch in July going into the All-Star break, I believe. That's what's going to take it for me. I want to see how they do because they struggle against teams above 500. You have about 17 straight games with teams above 500. I want to see how they do with that for me to change my opinion on this team. Yeah, like you asked me off the top, you know, am I back in? Uh, the answer is not yet. However, this team currently has me experiencing a little bit of FOMO, where <laughs> if they get hot, I'm going to feel, you know, guilty or like I missed out not jumping back on sooner, if that makes sense. So it, it at least has me thinking. So, you know, we'll, we'll reevaluate at the All-Star break. It's a brutal, brutal stretch coming up. So if they can withstand that and find themselves 500 or better at the All-Star break, I'm interested. I'm very interested, and we, we can talk further at the All-Star break. But, you know, they, they still have the work cut out for them. Every team in baseball can have a good two-week stretch. I mean, look at the Orioles starting the year. And now look at the Orioles. Like, any team in baseball can have a good two-week stretch. And I'm not trying to discredit what the Nats are doing, but it is a small but it's not enough in, at the, this point. in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. It's been really obviously way more fun to watch right now. Um, They're playing really good baseball, but for me personally, I'm not, I was not ready to declare the season over, but you know, I was kind of feeling like realistically can this roster as it's currently constructed be competitive. And it seems like it seemed, I should say like, no, but again, if you can get guys like Bell and Schwarber going, if, if Soto can round back into form a little bit, it really changes things because the pitching has been fabulous. And if this Ross, if the lineup can even just be good, not necessarily great with that kind of pitching, you know, who knows what can happen in a lousy division. So 
it's uh, it, for me, it's too short of a sample size to get too excited about it. But if they get through the, the stretch now until the all-star break and they're playing the way they have been, they're, you know, gaining ground and, you know, still in second place, or shall we even talk about the idea of them being in first place? You know, they're not that far out. So if they can, if they can do something like that, then I, I think that the whole complexion of the season changes. Yeah, I agree. So we'll have to see what happens, you know, over these next two weeks. It, like I said, it's a brutal stretch and, uh, you know, the Nats have the work cut out for them, but if they keep playing like they do, we're, you know, we're going to be in a different spot come July 31st than we thought we would be. And I hope so, because even though we've talked at nauseum about how they, how, you know, they're past due for a rebuild and, you know, we don't need to rehash all that. We've gone over it. It's, really intensely, but it's a whole lot more fun to watch the second half of the season when your team is relevant. <laughs> yeah. So it would be a lot more fun for us, especially for things to talk about on this podcast, if the, the Nets could be relevant in the second half. Yeah, it'd be a lot more fun of summer. And speaking of summer, Heaters, this episode and all of our episodes are brought to you by Manscaped. Summer is coming. I guess, is it already here? I don't it know. It is officially the, the official. The, yeah, the solstice was like two days ago. Okay, so summer is here. Are you guys unready to unveil your beach bod? Well, if you're not, you're in luck because our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes a lawnmower 4.0. The 4.0. Complement your summer bod with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. Get yourself right. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. Join the two million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. And get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code HSHH20. That's our code. Help us out. Help us help you. Help. Nope. Help you. Nope. <laughs> I haven't said that one. Help us help you help us. That works. Use our promo code HSHH20 for 20% off and free shipping. The performance package or anything else on the site. There's plenty of great products. I guarantee you will love. It's you know something you will use every day if not you know almost every day if not every day so go to manscaped and use our promo code hshh20 speaking of things you'll love we talked to matt nick best and i sat down pod, with <laughs> best friend of the pod oh yeah matt we just call him matt yeah you wouldn't know him amanda yeah you Who? don't get it you wouldn't get it you're not that guy, pal. Nick and I spoke with Matt. It was a really good interview. We talked about this wild series, the stretch the Nats are on. Um, we also preview the Philly series. and also talk about some potential deadline targets with this division being how it is and what the Nats could potentially do. And it was a really good conversation. And hope you guys enjoy. What's up, everyone? We are now joined by... Best friend of the podcast, not that good at fantasy football, Matt Wyrick of BC oh Sports Washington. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can give him a follow on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick. And make sure you guys head on over to NBCSportsWashington.com for all things DC Sports. Matt, how you doing, my man? Not bad. Just uh, draft prep, you know, guys. Preparing for uh, to take you all down in the league this year. I mean, if you... If you're just now starting draft prep, I have nothing to worry about. Oh, no, I'm knee-deep. Don't worry. I'm, I've already done two dynasty drafts. We're ready. I'm, we're in the middle of one right now. So. <laughs> nice. But the Nats just finished a two-game, very, very hectic set against the Phillies. 
Um, before we get into that a little bit, the Nats are playing good baseball for the first time since 2019. They're nine and one in their last 10. I believe they're 11 and three in their last 14. What has been the catalyst for this turnaround? Because all of a sudden, this team has a pulse. Yeah, you know, I think it's two things. One has been the starting pitching. Up until today, the starting pitching over the past week and a half has really been excellent. Uh, they've been getting solid innings, solid performances from guys like Eric Fetty and Joe Ross. Uh, of course, Max Scherzer coming out the IL, giving him five with one run yesterday uh, was big. And Patrick Corbin's resurgence has also been uh, pretty remarkable. But really, the, the biggest catalyst overall has been Kyle Schwarber just moving into the leadoff spot hitting however many home runs it's been since he moved over there. He's been uh, absolutely on fire. One NL player of the, of the week, had a two-homer game, and then followed up with a three-homer game. Uh, I had the pleasure of being at that three-home run game, and I can't tell you how excited that crowd was. I think it was the loudest Nats Park has been all year and the most packed has been all year. Uh, and it was just awesome to see, you know, not just the team getting into it, but the fans as well. Yeah, for sure. And obviously going whatever it is, 11 and three in your past 14 or, you know, whatever the the record is at this point is great. But the thing that's eye popping to me and something like Ryan just said, we haven't really seen since 2019 was going five and one in in the division between, you know, the the Mets series and uh, now the Phillies. What is it? Obviously the pitching, but what is it that the Nats did and will need to continue doing to really fight for the division? Because if you look at the playoff landscape as a whole, yeah, we're doing great now, but we're still, we're not even 500 yet. So really, if we want to play for, uh, you know, playoff spot, it's got to be division. So what do they need to do and what have they done well against the division rivals? Yeah. I mean, like we were talking about before, I think it definitely starts with the pitching. That's, that's the national strength and they're conceivably going to be getting Steven Strasburg back at some point this year. So, the rotation can still be, you know, 2019 peak rotation uh, if, you know, everybody figures it out and they're able to click on all cylinders. But, uh, you know, I, I think with the divisional games, you know, these are these are other teams that also have good rotations. You know, the Mets have Jacob deGrom at the top. Marcus Stroman and Tywin Walker have been really good this year. The Braves, you know, they have a lot of upside, a lot of young arms to go with Charlie Morton there. You know, they definitely have some talent. Uh, the Marlins rotation is really young and, and up and coming, but they've been playing really well. Uh, and even the Phillies at the top of Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler, who are, you know, two, one of the better one-two duos across the majors. So, you know, this is a division where everybody is going to have a starting pitching, starting pitcher on any given day who can give them a chance to win. Uh, it's going to come down to the offense. And the Nationals, the biggest problem for them has been timely hitting. Uh, and up until now, they really haven't had those hitters coming through with runners in scoring position or, like we saw today, coming through with the bases loaded. Uh, as so much as they have. So it seems like the team is regressing to the mean a little bit. They were really bad at, at hitting in those situations early on. It seemed like something that would even out over time. And sure enough, we're really starting to see the the fruits of that. Yeah, and it's pretty nice to see because the Nats had several hits with runners in scoring position and a couple outs and the Grand Slam in this series. Um, speaking of this Philly series, as I said, a lot happened. And one of the biggest stories was MLB is finally enforcing the checks for substance. Max got checked twice and then Joe Girardi asked a third time. That went viral when uh, Max threw everything on the ground and tried to take his pants off on TV. Absolutely (laughs) loved the move. We saw a lot of pitchers around the league have those types of reactions to make a point to the league. Do you think the league is going to go back on this a little bit or are they just going to stick as it is and we're just going to keep having these absurd checks all throughout the season? Well, Rob Manfred came out with a statement and said, uh, called the Scherzer situation, quote, less than ideal, 
which uh, thanks, Rob. <laughs> that's, that's great insight. Um, I, I don't think that they're backing down. I mean, they're, they're kind of, they've buried themselves into this hole. You know, this is, this is a product of MLB unilaterally making the decision to do this midseason and saying, we're going to deal with the consequences. Well, here come the consequences. Uh, we're going to have to just wait and see. This becomes, you know, a daily sideshow type situation where we're talking about this every night or, you know, if we can really move on and, and not make it so much part of a game that it becomes a, a storyline that lingers when it well into the offseason. So, uh, you know, with the, the CBA expiring this, this winter, you know, all bets are off as to whether or not this will be included in that. Uh, and, and maybe they come to some sort of agreement moving into next year. But as far as this season goes, uh, I think that pitchers are just going to have to deal with it. Uh, and we're going to, you know, really hold our breath and hope that, that nobody gets hit in the face uh, and that pitchers are able to avoid injury without tweaking their mechanics too much. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question. Obviously, you know, we've circled the, the offseason upcoming on our calendar for years now with the CBA expiring, and this is just the latest in a long line of disagreements and kind of head-scratching decisions um, made by the MLB and obviously le- or increases the, the rift between the, the PA and the MLB. Um, but you kind of answered my question, you know, the, this extending on beyond the season. In just in your opinion, do you think they reach a happy medium? Because I know some players uh, – specifically hitters they don't mind like a sunscreen and rosin combination because that really is more for grip as opposed to spider tack which is more spin rate and kind of you know you get the the crazy uh, rpm on your pitches so do you think they go cold turkey kind of like what we're seeing now or do you think we kind of reach a happy medium and pitchers are allowed to use some sticky stuff it's just going to be more out in the open and more monitored yeah i mean I think that it, they are going to reach some type of agreement. It, it's definitely there are two types of ways that, that pe- pitchers use this stuff. Like you said, one is to increase spin rate and the other is just to get a grip, you know, in general. Uh, you know, I don't, I just don't see any reason why MLB would not want pitchers to be able to feel comfortable with the grip that they have on the baseball. You know, Davey Martinez uh, talked uh, right before Austin Botha said it was actually, I think it was the day before he was in the face about how he wants there to be new baseballs introduced where they are just more adhesive. Or Max Scherzer talked last night about how he'd like to see uh, these COVID uh, mask police guys. That the, apparently they have monitors in every clubhouse that are making sure that everyone wears their masks inside. Once those are no longer necessary, he thinks that they could be people who are already under contract repurposed uh, to check pitchers for substances on their hands uh, rather than doing it on the field and having umpires who might not be you know, as qualified to do it have somebody, you know, more of a trained professional, somebody who can take a look at your hands, take a look at the substance that you're bringing out to the field with you and make sure that you're all good. You know, I think there's, there's gotta be some, something that they can come up with. Um, and it, my, my thing is just with this whole thing, you know, with MLB acting the way they are and, and just saying, look, we're doing this stiff arming the players union saying, look, we're, we're, we're rolling with this. You know, we can talk about it in the off season. It just feels like it's another thing that, you know, more leverage for MLB uh, on the bargaining table this offseason. You know, one more thing that they can say, look, all right, if you really want this concession, here's something that, you know, you can do for us, blah, blah, blah. Because there's a lot of things that the uh, Players Union is going to be asking for because they have been increasingly irate with how things have been handled over the past few years on a variety of issues. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely going to be something that's incredibly important to watch. I think Passon had an article about this today, and it really seemed like it was trying to push the owner's side. So it's going to be it's going to be fun. But just in case people didn't see, today's game, or yesterday's when this comes out, 
was probably the game of the year. Um, it was the first game in MLB history where both teams had a three-run home run and a grand slam in the same game. But more importantly, the Nats came back from several deficits. This is something that we haven't really seen them do well. Um, I know the record when they're trailing past the fifth inning isn't exactly great, and they came back after the fifth inning a couple times. What does that do for a ball club, especially the clubhouse, when you are kind of struggling, you're not playing exactly how you should, and then you have multiple comebacks and win an unreal game like this before you go down to Miami? Yeah, I mean, this is huge. You you can talk about what this means for the offense. You know, is this really mean they've broken out or not? And we can talk on that in a sec. But as far as just momentum goes and the feeling in the clubhouse, Davey Martinez literally choked up uh, in his post-game press conference today when talking about the performances of Josh Bell and Starlin Castro, both coming through with go-ahead hits in, in big moments. Uh, he called Josh Bell's grand slam, you know, the moment he became a national or something along those lines. Um, and, and, you know, it's just he was talking about the clubhouse and how, you know, everybody's really rallying together. They, they have this, same, this similar, you know, vibe to 2019 where, uh, you know, it, it's kind of like the world's against us. We're climbing out of this hole. You know, no deficit is too large for us to come back from. And while that, that does scream 2019, you know, the roster is a little bit different. This is a bit of a different team. But Davey Martinez is the voice at the top. And, uh, you know, so far he seems to be guiding the ship uh, in a similar way. As far as the offense is concerned, I, I wouldn't expect them to start scoring 10-plus runs a game. Uh, you know, they, I think something that you have to point out here is every single position player in the Nats lineup today, all eight of them, uh, drew at least one walk. In fact, they all drew exactly one walk. Uh, which I think is more of an indictment on the Phillies pitchers being unable to, you know, control their pitches rather than, you know, everybody in the Nationals showing pay, great plate discipline and drawing walks. You know, this is a, a game where the Phillies were handing over runs, as were the Nats handing runs to them. But, uh, you know, the offense did come through in those big moments, you know, and those are times in the past where they haven't. Uh, and that could be a really momentum shifter for the team. So we're just going to have to wait and see, you know, how they continue to play against the Marlins moving forward. Another divisional opponent, one that they, you know, have swept already this year, but, uh, you know, they have a positive run differential. So this doesn't seem like a team you can just walk over. Speaking of Davey choking, um, his bullpen management is still questionable. And I think we saw another example of that today. Obviously it worked out, you know, we, we got the win, but it wasn't, you know, the, the most streamlined path to get there. Uh, one of the biggest things that drives me insane. And I know, I think we've talked about it before and I know, there have been articles and former players talk about how it drives them crazy, but the warming guys up not to use them. Espino was w warming up in like the sixth inning tonight and he didn't pitch till the ninth. Again, it all worked out, but is that something that's still, you know, being talked about amongst players and is Davey aware of that? Or is that kind of just like, Hey, a win's a win, you know, we'll work it out along the way. Yeah, I haven't heard any, you know, grumblings from players this season about it. I know it has been something that has been mentioned in the past. Uh, Espino was up for a long time. I think the bigger problem is when a pitcher is up and then they're not used. Uh, right. I know that happened to Brad Hand over the weekend uh, where he was put up for uh, and then wasn't needed. Uh, and so he was almost burned, basically. I, you know, he pitched three of the four games leading into this game. Uh, you know, they had an off day Monday, but he pitched three of the last four games. Uh, and the one that he did not pitch in, he got up for. Uh, so he was definitely not available today uh, against the Phillies. And that's why, you know, they were in a situation where Tanner Rainey was having to pitch in the eighth inning. Although Davey has been using him in the eighth inning anyway, which is a mystery to me. But, uh, you know, overall, they're, they're without Daniel Hudson, without Kyle Finnegan. 
Um, Luis Avilon was lost earlier this year. You know, they're, they're definitely looking places for relievers right now. And that's how a guy like Espino uh, is, is so critical for them. Who's, you know, maybe not striking out a ton of guys, but able to keep that ERA down, uh, limit the damage and, and, you know, get in, get out and give them multiple innings if needed. Yeah. It was just frustrating because yes, I just checked. Espino was warming up in the sixth and he went to Miller, Voth and Rainey before Espino. Again, it worked out, you know, Espino got the save, which was pretty cool, you know, watching his his path to the majors and, and his success in the majors thus far. It's cool to see, but again, it's frustrating because had we lost today, that's the first thing I'd be pointing to is Davies' bullpen management. And yeah, guys were spent, but Davies' bullpen management was not ideal, just in my opinion. Yeah, the fact that, you know, Wander Suero came in only through two pitches and then wasn't used when, you know, we really haven't seen a ton of Suero, which is interesting right. uh, lately. I would have thought that he'd be the guy that they really want to lean on more, uh, considering that they're, you know, without Kyle Finnegan and Brad Hand wasn't available and they're without Daniel Hudson. I really thought Suero was going to be a guy that could be even contention for the save, but they end up using him as the second guy out of the pen. So that was an interesting decision as well. Yeah, it was interesting. Indeed, but coming up, we have a pretty big four-game set with the Marlins, and the Marlins are pretty average offensively. Um, well, you know, not a little less than average, a 27th OPS and 26 home runs, but their starting rotation is pretty underrated. They're third in ERA, ninth in whip, um, seventh in hits per nine. They also don't give up a lot of home runs. What can we expect from the Marlins this four-game set? And is this a easy walkthrough for the Nats, or do you think this is going to be a little bit of a challenge for them coming up? I think I think it's definitely a challenge. I think honestly, any team that you're going to play in the division is going to be tough. You know, the, the Nats obviously swept them at home the last time they played, and uh, you know they had to have felt good about that at the time. But it's been a while since that series, and uh, these two teams, while the Marlins are kind of going in the wrong direction right now, they they do have a lot of young talent, as you mentioned. That rotation gives them a chance to win on any given night, and I think that's why. They're one of the two teams with a positive run differential in this division. Uh, they're they're going to get the, this rotation in full force. They're going to see Alcantara. They're going to see Lopez. They're going to see Rogers, who are their, kind of their big three, uh, with Sixto Sanchez being out with injury all this season. Uh, Alcantara will be going against Scherzer on Sunday, which is a matchup I'll be circling for sure on my calendar, being the series finale and probably their, their most promising young pitcher. Um, you know, all three of those guys, they, they give the, the Marlins a chance to win. They're, they're all 25 or under, which is just crazy to think about uh, with, with how, what the future of this team could be. Uh, if they can get, you know, develop a few more young hitters, they're really going to be a force down the line. But, uh, you know, it's not a walk in the park, that's for sure. Any, any team in the division is going to give up a fight. And the Nationals, you know, they, they need their, these wins bad. You know, they're still, like you said, a game under 500. So uh, the battle is not over yet. Yeah, and, and you know, like you just said, you said it perfectly. Any battle within the division is just that. It's a battle, but it also doesn't get any easier. You get one game with the Mets on Monday, and then you get Tampa for two, Dodgers for four, San Diego for four, San Francisco for three, leading into the All-Star break. And no days off is almost the more important thing there. Obviously, it's crucial that the Nats are playing good baseball leading into this long stretch of baseball. But what do, you know, in your eyes, what do they need to do over this next, what's that, you know, 15, 17 games? What outcome do they need to be in a good, like, comfortable spot heading into the All-Star break? Well, you definitely want to be above 500. I think that's sure. got to be the major key. But since that Pirate Series, it actually, between that Pirate Series and the All-Star break, which is, you know, the Pirate Series is where they started winning, between then and the All-Star break, uh, they 
only played teams that were either above 500 or in their division the entire time between the, the Bat Pirate Series and the All-Star break. So that's a pretty significant stretch for them to play, you know, teams that are good and teams that are right up against them in the division. So, you know, every win matters against every single one of these teams. Uh, you know, they, they, the Nationals have been here before. They know what this means. They, they put themselves in an early hole, which means every win counts, and you can't afford to be, you know, splitting series at this point, and you got to be winning series. And I think that's what made, you know, winning today's game against the Phillies so important for the Nats is just that extra one-game swing can make all the difference when you're in a division where everyone's just beating up on each other and, you know, you're probably going to be struggling to get to 90 wins. Yeah, and especially with the division, the Nats, Braves, and Phillies are essentially all tied. Um, there's a game separating them, and the Nats are three and a half back of the Mets, who are the only team above 500. Especially with the Mets now having 11 pitchers on the injured list, I feel like this team buying at the deadline is probably more than likely inevitable. Now, a lot can happen. We're still a month out, but say this team is in a situation where they're going to buy, who do you think is a realistic target? Because I keep looking at it, and I don't really see anyone that would be a realistic fit with how thin this farm system is right now. Yeah, you know, I've actually been doing the same thing, just trying to look around. Um, you know, I think what the biggest thing the Nationals need out of anything is power in their lineup. Uh, and so two teams that jump out to me as teams that might be able to help them out with that are the Twins and the Diamondbacks both of whom are at the bottom of their respective divisions. I think Eduardo Escobar could be a really good fit for the Nationals, you know, taking maybe Jordy Mercer's spot on the roster to keep Castro and uh, Harrison involved. But Escobar... Oh, Escobar of, for Mercer straight up is what I'm hearing. Yes, yes. Yeah, okay. they would, I think Diamondbacks would have to take that in a heartbeat. Nice, nice. Um, but, you know, he's not a, a tremendous hitter, only hitting 240 this year, but uh, he does have 15 home runs. Uh, he's a switch hitter, which gives him, you know, great versatility, whether that's off the bench or you're trying to match up with starters. Uh, you know, I think that overall he gives them a lot of opportunities. And then the, the Twins just have a lot of home run hitters up and down the lineup. So, you know, if, if they can afford to expend a guy or two, I think the Nationals uh, possibly could get into that as well. Yeah. Um, Josh Donaldson was one name that I, I was just thinking of. <laughs> And that's not because he's lighting the world on fire, but obviously, you know, we still have a semi hole at third base and we were linked to him before the Nats didn't want to pay. Could you see a situation where, you know, maybe the Nats take on half his contract and we don't have to give up, uh, you know, the top, top prospect? Well, the Nationals tried to get Josh Donaldson when he was a free agent before he signed with the Twins, so there was interest there. Mm -hmm. uh, I do think that given that he's 35 years old and still has, what is it, two more years after this? Three more yeah. years. Two years and an option uh, with an $8 million buyout for that third year, uh, where he's being paid $27.8 million over the, each of those years. I would guess probably not that the Nationals are, you know, they've got a couple of young infielders coming up, uh, you know, between Luis Garcia Carter Keboom and Yazal and Tuna. I think the Nationals hope at least one of them turns out to be an everyday player. Uh, whether that's at second base or third base kind of remains to be seen, but one of those two positions will be filled. I can't imagine they really want to, you know, having an old roster already uh, and the, the question of whether you extend Trey Turner and Max Scherzer looming over them. I don't know if they're really going to dive into the Josh Donaldson pool unless the Twins are really willing to eat a lot of that money, but the Twins not being a major market team uh, you know, if they were to do that, I think, you know, Kate Cavalli would be a guy they'd be looking for. Jackson Rutledge, Cole Henry, one of those guys in that high A Wilmington rotation. Well, Cavalli's moved on, but one of those guys, you know, top pitching prospects from their system uh, would have to be one of the guys they'd want to part with. And I can't imagine the Nationals want to 
part ways with any of those three guys right now. Yeah, certainly. And don't really blame him either. Um, I mean, if I was GM, I would let Max walk in the end of the year, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> you wrote an article about Kyle Schwarber and him being a fit long term. Um, I think he's now up to third in home runs. Not just screams getting a B prospect back to me, but if the Nats were to extend Kyle Schwarber at the end of the year, what would that look like financially? I think we'd probably be looking at around three years, forty million. They signed Daniel Murphy for three, three, three years for three seventy thirty-seven point five, excuse me, uh, and he was a couple of years older, but coming off of uh, you know that big postseason with the Mets that earned him a little bit more money. Uh, I think that Kyle Schwarber's long-term lack of projectability on defense hurts his long-term value as well as the fact that he never really hits singles or doubles. He's kind of an all or nothing home run hitter who does draw a lot of walks, uh, but also hits a lot of strikeouts. So, uh, you know, I don't expect him to light the world on fire and, and command some huge contract in free agency. I think he's a guy who could be maybe a little bit more expensive than Adam Eaton was, uh, but still somewhat affordable where you'd feel comfortable pairing him alongside Robles and Soto in the outfield long-term. Cause I mean, you know, the nationals lineup in general, you don't really have anyone besides Soto that you can comfortably say is going to hit 30 home runs every year. Now you might be able to say Josh Bell next year, you know, could come back and do it. But you know, up until this point, he just hit his 10th home run. You know, we're, we're not at, you know, he's not exactly lighting the world on fire. He's definitely heating up lately, but uh, I wouldn't say he's a surefire bet to hit 30. Whereas Schwarber's done it twice in his career. He had did 26 another time. Uh, so he's, he's a guy who's been there before done it a few times and, uh, you know, he's still only 28 years old right now. So I think signing him to a three or four year deal, you know, only takes him until he's about 32. That's really not that bad. You know, I think that he's a guy who's kind of played sneaky good defense that the DH might be coming over the National League soon anyway. So you could conceivably have him in, as part of your plans to be in the DH at some point. I don't know. I do think, you know, it's something that the Nationals need to explore and it's going to take, you know, a full season before you can really determine uh, if, uh, Schorber can be part of the team's plans in the future, but he wants to stay. He has said when he first signed and he's reaffirmed about a week ago uh, that he wants to stay with the nationals long-term and he has a mutual option for next year, but those almost never get picked up. So I would imagine that his mutual option somehow gets declined uh, and they work out some kind of deal from there. Yeah. And uh, I'm just going to correct you really quick. The DH is coming to the national oh, right. league last yeah. year. It, it, it's, you know, it's, I got to leave deal. that caveat. All right. Just for my, <laughs> for my own, you know, soul. <laughs> the the Nats actually, and I, you know, maybe this is just recency bias, but it feels like they have a lot of expiring contracts this year. And obviously that's headlined by max. Um, but, you know, looking at the roster and all the expiring contracts in particular, and we just talked about Schorber, is there, you know, one guy that you wouldn't really think of where you're like, Hey, it'd be cool or good for the Nats to extend him and have him stick around. Well, I think that Brad Hand uh, probably is gone after this year. His declining velocity and his adventures in the ninth inning probably don't make him a strong candidate to stick around. The fact that he's a lefty does help, um, but, you know, he's really going to need to settle in uh, and have, you know, some more one, two, three type outings for, I think, the Nationals to consider giving him any kind of multiple year deal. Uh, mm -hmm. They do have um, Daniel Hudson uh, being a free agent after this year. He was only signed for $5 million this season. Uh, so I think overall, you know, he's a guy that you might be able to consider, okay, if we can get him back for $3 million next year, I, I would definitely take Daniel Hudson at $3 million next year. But kind of depends on what kind of contract he's going to be looking for. I know you, you mentioned Max, and uh, I think there is an important thing to talk about with Max 
uh, is that half of the money that he did in his contract is deferred, right? So of the 210 million, 105 million is spread out over the next seven years once his contract is up. Uh, and while yes, sign, you know, right now, next year, as far as the luxury tax goes, the Nationals have no commitment to him whatsoever. They are going to be paying him next year. And that is kind of how the team looks at it more so than the luxury tax. Uh, is, you know, what is our payroll this year? Uh, and I think that Scherzer's probably going to be looking for what Justin Verlander got from the Astros, which was three years, $100 million. Something in that range, $33 million AAV, right? <laughs> See ya. Or, yeah, Ryan, I hear Ryan like perk up immediately. But that's the saying... thing. This is the thing. Is Scherzer, I can't remember what the exact total is uh, for what he's deferred, but it's, a, it's over $10 million. Uh, or that he's already going to be paid next year. And what the Nationals could go to him and say, look, you know, we already are going to be paying you next year. If we sign you to a three-year deal, what if we kick our deferred payments three years down the road? Then they're only adding, you know, 20 million onto their payroll rather than 33 million or whatever it is. I think it's around 15 is what they'd be paying him for a year. Yeah, I think it's 15. So, so, you know, that right there, it actually makes Scherzer $15 million cheaper a year for them than it would be for any other team, which I think actually gives the Nationals an advantage to bring him back. Will they do it? I don't know. There's a lot of factors. Uh, but, you know, their rotation is going to be sorely missing him next year, that's for sure, especially considering he's the only guy with a sub-3 ERA at the moment. Um, so, you know, if, if Strasburg can't be healthy, you know, they need a guy to, to be up there post like an ace. And, you know, Corbin is settling in, but he's, he's definitely not that guy. And Strasburg needs to stay healthy. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the four-sign Scherzer camp because I don't think it's as bad financially as a lot of people are making it out to be. Yes, that that whatever it is, thirty three million would hurt the AAV. Um, you know, obviously buy thirty three million unless they defer money, in which case different numbers become involved. And of course, like we said, the CBA is going to expire, so who knows what how that all is going to work? They might overhaul the whole system. We don't really know, uh, but I do think that the Nationals are going to be major players for Scherzer, and that is a big reason why. One guy all I know is sorry, oh, go, Nick. Ahead. go ahead. All I know is if this team gives a 37-year-old a $100 million <laughs> contract, I am going to be down at Nats Park going to try to speak to someone because we're going to have an issue. And I, the deferred money is going to hurt this team also. That's another conversation. Sorry, go ahead, Nick. Yeah, go ahead, Nick. I was just going to say they're a big fan of uh, kicking the can down the road. So while that is like a good you know business strategy for the situation they're currently in, it's also just very nats for them to add on even more deferred money, money and kick the can down the road. One guy I did want to ask about because, one, it doesn't seem like we have anyone like waiting in the wings ready to replace him. But, two, he's had a, a sneaky good season, a quietly good season. That's Jan Gomes. Obviously, he's developed a great rapport with a bunch of our staff at this point. Could you see him sticking around uh, another year, maybe two? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I don't see why not. He's not that old at this point. Uh, what is he, 32, 33? I think he's 33, up. if I'm not mistaken. Jan Gomes is 33, yeah. So, you know, you, you give him a two-year deal, one-year deal, you know, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. He's not going to blow anybody away offensively. Uh, but last I checked, he's like fifth. Uh, among NL catchers in home runs with seven this year. So, uh, you know, setting a low bar because they're catchers, but at the same time, you know, he's, he's getting it done. 103 OPS plus coming into today's game. Uh, I do think that the Nationals uh, have, I can't remember his name. Uh, it's killing me. Tres uh, Barrera? They, or no. Israel Pineda? Yeah. I think they're very high on him. He's ranked 15th on MLB Pipeline on their farm system right now, but he's a guy... Uh, that they think that could be uh, a projectable 
uh, catcher in the major leagues at some point. He's only 21 right now, so I would imagine, and, and he's at high A, uh, so I'd imagine they at least need another year before he is ready to come up and uh, start, you know, making an impact in the major leagues. So I would not be surprised they bring Yangums back next year uh, and, and get another, you know, veteran like Avila to kind of pair with him uh, and get through another season. I, you know, he's been great defensively, you know, with an, his arm especially. He's been throwing out guys left and right. Uh, he's a lot of fun to watch, and, and he works really well with the pitchers. So I don't see any reason why, you know, he shouldn't be brought back next season. Yeah, I'd be for it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've always liked Young. At first, it kind of started out as a joke, but then, like, he kind of got good. So <laughs> I can always say I was the first one on it. There you go. Um, My last question for you, what do you think this team's record is going to be by the All-Star break after the stretch? How many games is that total? Well, hold on, let me, let me rephrase that. You can say, like, three games over, three okay, games okay. under. Like, you don't have to get, like, an exact record. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Um, let's see. They're playing the Marlins next, and then we got Padres, Mets, Dodgers, Rays, Dodgers, 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 Dodgers yeah. yeah. Um, I'm going to go with three games under 500. I mean, they're playing well right now, and I think that against these divisional teams, you know, they have a good chance to win. Uh, and I can see them put, continuing this winning streak through the Miami series and against uh, the Mets. And even the Rays just lost six straight. So, you know, conceivably they could do well over this next week. But I think closing it out against the Dodgers and the Padres is, is really going to kind of show. And then the Giants, too. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's the NL West tour right there. Uh, and, you know, the, the Nats got swept by the Dodgers earlier this season, and they did not look good. I mean, that was definitely early on in the year. But uh, it was an ugly series, to be sure. And, of course, they got the Padres and Giants, who are, are right up there as well. So I'm going to go with three games under. I'd say they, they continue playing hot for right now, but then kind of stumble uh, over those last couple of series where they may, might fall a few games under. Yeah, I mean, that's just a brutal stretch and the Rays in there. I mean, I think the Giants are frauds, but Dodgers and Padres, that's it's going to be fun. Um, hopefully in a good way. Well, Matt, uh, once again, I want to thank you for coming on as always. It's fantastic speaking with you. You guys can give him a follow on Twitter if you have not yet at by Matt Wyrick. And make sure you guys head on over to NBCSportsWashington.com to keep up with everything Nats and all DC sports. Thanks for coming on, Matt. Appreciate it. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. Yep. Once again, thank you so much to best friend of the podcast, Matt Wyrick, for joining. You guys, as always, can find him on Twitter at ByMattWyrick. All right. Anything else before we get out of here, guys? Let's go sweep the Marlins. Yeah, keep doing what you're doing. It's working, so. Yeah, if they take three or four from the Marlins, I'm going to be absolutely thrilled because this is kind of their last breather before things get really hairy. Mm-hmm. I feel like there should be a Manscaped tie in there. Anyway, let's hope they can let's hope they can do it. I mean, the Marlins are not good. Um, the Nats haven't been very good up until this last stretch. So I hope we see good Nats, not bad Nats. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I wouldn't even say this is much of a breather. Yeah, the Marlins are in last place, but one, they're a division rival, so you always need to, you know, get up for that game. But two, they have a positive run differential, which Matt mentioned. So they're they're sneaky better than what the record might indicate. They have pretty good pitching and they'll creep up on you if you're not careful. So like, you know, Ryan pretty much mentions it at the end of every episode and what we've been saying, they just need to do what they, you know, got to do. And that includes 
winning this series. So very important. We'll we'll see how it goes and talk talk Sunday. All right. Sounds like a plan. You guys have a good couple of days. We'll talk soon. Let's go next. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator Who has the cause has passed the wall to see you later Let's go Nats We've got a game to play We're gonna win today Let's go By the early light of dawn, well you can see they're running scared Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air Tell the Library of Congress that they might not want to look Cause we're putting curly W's in every book Let's go Nats, we've got a game to play We're gonna win today, let's go who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call click or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done